Greetings, Princeps, and welcome to the 48th episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Technicus wargame produced by Games Workshop. In this week's show, me and my new co-host sit down to discuss the best practices when putting together a battle group for a game of Titanicus. But before all that, this is my usual request for you to rate and review my show, to visit my Ko-Fi account and buy me a cup of coffee, or even visit my Patreon account. All these methods help support the show and help me to continue to make the God Engine cast. I have big plans for what I'm going to do this year, which I've talked about at length in other shows. So right about now, let's move on to the rest of the podcast. Before we get on to the main section of the show, let's just cover a few pieces of housekeeping. First of all, we know of the release date for the Warmaster. It will be out in two weeks from the point I'm recording this. And it looks like it's going to be clocking in at a very respectable price point of $160 US. About the same cost as a Imperial Knight, which is about where I expected it to be. Along with the Warmaster, we're getting a host of Titanicus releases, including a new Battle Force box that hadn't been previewed. It looks incredible and a great value for money. The Loyalist book, which looks really good and does appear to be a compilation of all the previous Loyalist rules, with some additional bits of content sprinkled in. And then finally, we have the hardback version of the core rules that looks really nice. I'll do a deep dive into the new Loyalist book whenever I get my hands on it, and a review of the Warmaster kit when I get my new hands on it. But I thought I would note at this point, that may not be the week of release. I do not know what the US Postal Service is going to be like, and I'm kind of expecting that I'm going to have to wait a few more weeks before I can get my hands on both these objects. But that is what it is, and we will have plenty of time eventually to discuss the content of the book. But for now, let's talk about something else. The final piece of housekeeping before we get onto the main section of the show is to cover something that's actually very relevant to the next section. At the end of the last episode of the podcast, I mentioned I was looking for a co-host. And it is with that I would like to welcome Lucas Leon to the show. Lucas has actually already been on the show. He came on to talk about events last year and has a wonderfully painted Crucius battle group and plays a lot of games of Titanicus in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So, for... The immediate future, once a month, Lucas will be joining me on this podcast to discuss a subject relevant to Titanicus. We're going to be picking a subject that I want to have a conversation about, and we're going to do a deep dive and talk about our views on that particular subject. In this week's show, we are going to discuss the art of building a battle group. We're not going to discuss the actual rules and how you do it, but we're going to discuss the ideas you need when lift crafting in Titanicus. It's been a long time since many people put lists together thanks to the pandemic, so we thought a good revision episode on the basic ideas of what's needed to put together a solid Titanicus battle group was in order, and I hope you enjoy this content. I do also want to quickly mention that we are having some audio issues at the moment. The software I've been using to record this podcast with guests has not been holding up in the last couple of weeks. I'm currently looking for a a solution. And I've done my best to edit the audio to a much cleaner level, but my apologies is this is lower than our usual standard. Um, thank you for joining me today, Lucas. Um, before we get stuck into the meat of today's show, I suppose we should just catch up on what you've been doing for the last eight months or so since you were on in late August. Oh yeah, I've been, I actually been, I moved, and so I've kind of been setting up my new studio and kind of getting settled in. I moved out to the country, so it's kind of nice out here, but, you know, I had just actually finished setting up my, like, painting, you know, my space where I paint and everything at my other house, and then we decided to move, and so I had to basically tear it all apart and restart. So I've been kind of getting that all set up and delving deeper into 3D printing. I had an Anycubic Photon, which I sold and bought a Photon Mono X, so the larger printer. Anything cool built yet for Titanicus, or has it all been 30K stuff? Uh, It's mostly 30K stuff, 
but I have been printing some of Bronco Fish's uh, Grimdark Terrain Patreon stuff. Very popular at the moment. Yeah, I printed some of the bunker system and stuff like that. I'm I'm really trying to plan a centerpiece Titanicus table, uh, but right now I'm struggling with finding a place to store it. I want to have quite a bit of it. I think I want to do some a bunch of two by two tiles that you can you know kind of rearrange or whatever. But that's not easy to store. So that's the struggle right now. Yeah, I've basically gone to the playmat and uh, scattered terrain system. Yeah, it works really well for storing and portability and everything like that. But there is something about like the built-in, like the 3D terrain boards that oh yeah, you do lose a little bit of. So I think a combination of both really works well. Okay. Um, so you've done any Titanicus stuff recently? Just the, just the printing. Uh, I haven't really, I haven't needed to do any Titanicus stuff. Like I said, I'm kind of trying to plan this table, but I have a pretty large collection that I feel comfortable with. It's all fully painted. Oh, so. yeah, you have, yeah, you have the full Extermagus, if I remember right. Like I do. I I have uh, four Warlords, two Warbringers, five Reavers, and four Warhounds. So I think yeah. I'm kind of a batch painter. I don't really like to paint single models at one time. So I think when the new Warmonger comes out, I think I'm going to do some more Warhounds with it. Yeah, that makes sense. But terrain is definitely the biggest project. I've actually challenged myself. I keep saying that when the Warmonger comes out, I'm going to buy it, build it, and paint it in one day. Oof. I'm gonna try to have it painted that day. Ah, with with your airbrushing and it's Elijah Crucius, so it's not. I, I, I can see it being different. Right, it's not too complicated of a scheme. Um, it is a lot of masking, but uh-huh. it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, the build's gonna be the interesting part. Yeah, that's true. The warlord takes a bit of building, and I have this feeling that Warmaster's gonna be another level. Um. What I really want to sit down and talk to you about today was a, a point that's been brought up by you folk in some mails and conversations they've had with me at games, which is trying to talk people through the process of building a battle. And I'm not talking about just the easy, this is how you do it, but the, like, how do you do it and actually have a battle group that's going to function on the table, give you and your opponent a fun game? Right. Not just the, the rules on how to do it, but the minutiae. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. The list building is kind of a perishable skill and when you're not, you know, when you're not doing it all the time, when you don't have a game scheduled or anything that you think is coming up anytime soon, it's real easy to just kind of be like, well, I'm not really going to list hammer anything or, you know, play on my phone and, you know, figure out what I'm going to take because I don't know when I'm going to be able to take it. So, but as we're getting kind of back into the, you know, people are starting to game again a little bit. I think this is a good conversation to have. Yeah. Um, Now for example so we can sort of talk about doing this as a practical effect um i made a decision recently that i'm going to start collecting a second battle group my legio and Carnum have got to a pretty good size so i'm going to start putting together a traitorous force so i've got two sides of the game so i can invite people around to have them play titanicus excellent also so i've got a force to pull out if i need to balance traitor players at an event that's a good idea i like that Yeah, I had to use my Incarnamus traitors at the Iron Halo, and I was like, that's... Right. It's a little bit... It breaks your immersion just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I sat down, I went through all the Legios that are traitor, um, so to speak, and decided, after much umming and ahhing, I've decided for Legio Volcanum, partly because their paint scheme looks really fun. Okay, forgive my ignorance, but which one is that again? Legio Volcanum is actually the one with the two Legios. They're the okay. black with okay. the turquoise, the black with the dark green. Cool. The crazy dudes that have the double... I, am I thinking of the right thing, yeah? Yeah, they have the two... Um, the primary traitors, they could get to pick two princeps in their mantles. Yeah. They get missiles that split where they're going, and they can, for 20 points, pay for two titans to have the same machine spirit that makes them automatic squadron. That could be interesting. Yeah, it can go across mantles as well. Uh, the the theme about them is that they're actually you take Legio Vicarnum and you they're the two separate Legios, they always work in. Okay, that sounds kinda cool. It sounds at least like it's a little bit interesting. Like it does you know, not not every Legio has something that changes like the core how you play that much. Yeah, they they seem really fun. Um 
Plus that guys who show up in the Siege of Iraq 40k. Ooh, yeah. So do Legio Crucius. They'd be the loyalists at the Siege yeah, of Iraq. Yeah, by the Siege of Iraq, they've gone for, they turn into this really sort of dark, mottled green colour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stand, the, what the Altacanicus War, uh, the 80 Warhound that the Chaos was painted for on the Forge World site. All right, that sounds yeah, cool. I'm probably going to paint and collect them as sort of late heresy era, so I can do a little bit of chaos mutation and drift towards that color palette. Cool. You think you're gonna? You think you're gonna go for like the same size battle group as you have, or like you think you're gonna kind of make a smaller one, or are you gonna make a more specialized one? Today we're gonna talk about what I need because at the moment I have one Reaver Titan for the collection. You're gonna need more than that. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, for my birthday I got a war, um, a warlord and a reaver, and well, I don't need any more reavers for my incarnate. Add the third warlord so I can do the Sturmagus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, it needs to be done. Um, but for the Volcanum, I'm just going to start with the Reaver. I'm probably going to look towards the lighter manifolds as we start talking through this. Obviously, having like more Titan. Well, we're kind of getting into the meat of it, right? But yeah, having more Titans. You know, lighter Titans means more Titans means you can do the double manifold trick better. Means more Princeps Senoris, like means more of your legio trait like that's kind of the whole point of the conversation is like when you build the list you should be maximizing your legio traits kind of that's kind of the whole point let's just take a step back for the listener so to speak so when we're actually talking about building a list the first thing i like to do is actually establish a theme yeah um i pick out the kind the legio i'm doing or at least the idea of what i'm doing the theme could be i'm doing a force based on this particular book or that, and then it goes from there. Because this works across all game systems at this stage. Right. Pick the theme for your list. Yeah, I don't think that step is necessary, but I do think that you need to have some kind of, yeah, yeah, you need to have some kind of idea of what you're going to do before you, like, sit down and write it, right? Like, you can't just open your list builder app or whatever and, like, just kind of start adding stuff. You kind of do need to have an idea. And a lot of times that theme is heavily influenced by like what legio you've chosen mm-hmm. yeah too. yeah i mean it, it can come well before you've got a legio that's true but that's true. i think it's also that's why i said to say theme because it could be i'm going to build a ordax list or it could be i'm going to build a list filled with warhounds or i'm going to build a that's a good point right sometimes the yeah, sometimes the theme comes first, and then you pick the Legio that does that theme, and sometimes the Legio comes first, and you pick the theme that that Legio does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in which case I sort of then argue that the Legio is actually part of the theme. That's true. That's a good point. Because it could be so much like in a 30k example, is that me and my mates have said we're going to do a Return to Istvan event. My theme is a Return to Istvan list. Yeah, and then you pick your Legion, and then you write your list. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's sort of step zero, just establish the base idea of what you want to do. Um, this is also the point when I sort of sit down and go, am I going to play a incredibly competitive list? Is this super friendly? Then the sort of big idea is you just want to get yourself set down right at the start. Yeah, are you going to have the gloves on or off? There's no point talking about doing it later, because if you start doing it later, you're going to be just trying to catch up or downgrade. There's no way you're going to go in. Sometimes you can tone them down just by changing weapons and stuff, but yeah, I agree. Oh, it's, it's, it's doable. I mean, and I, I think we'll get there eventually. It's neat do at the end anyway, but... It's like, uh, you know, oh, this list is pretty good. I think I'm going to take Inferno Cannons instead. So anyway, um, what I do next isn't actually picking my Legio. Um, is actually decide how many manifolds I want. You kind of mentioned there a minute ago, which is what I wanted to. Because I think this is the biggest trick in Titanicus in mind, is that you don't have to just run the one. Mm-hmm. The double manifold is like, it's a pretty, pretty solid trick, right? Because you get a second, you get a second Senoris. Yeah, yeah. And more importantly, a second set of special rules. Yeah, exactly. You have two specialized kind of parts. So you got your theme, and you sort of you sort of deciding are you gonna are you gonna worry about doing two manifolds? Does your theme fit the idea of running? And then sort of at the same time, you start picking legios and deciding whether you legios one legio and what particular manifold you're gonna take. That's also all decided. Well, so I think it's important to talk about like the difference in Adeptus Titanicus and a lot of other war games. Like I said, I'm a big 30k guy, and usually when I do that, I will actually not everybody's the same, but I will write a list that I will then build to, right? But Adeptus Titanicus, because there's not a gigantic variety of models, right? You only have well, I guess you have like probably a dozen with all the knights and stuff, but you 
can actually have all of the models that they make in your collection and write the list after that. So like a lot of people are not are going to basically skip the like pick your legio step because they're already going to have their legio picked out. I and mean, that's very true. You know, they're they're already thinking about that. Yeah, you've already got that decided well early, I suppose. You are right there. And sometimes that can I don't want to say lock you out of a specific theme because really you can kind of do whatever you want. But it can't like some legios don't do well with certain themes. No, like some legios are stand and shoot. I actually I don't know that I really think that because Presagius is like the stand and shoot guys and they're really good with warhounds. But you know what I mean. Like some some legios are gonna lend themselves better to standing, shooting, and mitigating their heat, kind of like Crucius. And some legios are gonna you know be better at moving and engaging at close range. Okay, so let's talk about maniple choices, because I think that's okay. the... Picking a maniple is, like, the weirdest part of building a Titanicus list, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It is, because you got a bunch of options you can kind of do. Yeah, you, we're at, like, 16 particular options now, I think, but they are also your only options. Right. You must include at least one maniple. So you're going to tick one of these 16 boxes. And everyone's doing it, and it's so, and it's going to be the majority of your force because at most games you're going to look at maximum of. I don't know. I think it's really hard to get a seventeen fifty point list together with more than eight titans. Yeah, warhounds about two hundred to two forty. Yeah. So eight is sixteen hundred at the minimum. Yeah, so you're really pushing it to get eight, and that's a full warhound list. As soon as you throw a reaver in, you're suddenly down a max of six. You do two reavers and suddenly it is like six and that's sort of mm-hmm. where i find most lists sort of end up five or six six of yeah five six particular activations um i've got i'm playing around with like kind of a double maniple list that has six titans and a night banner so yeah i think that's about right that better be really good because that pushes you to seven activations, which I think is one of the big things you've got to think about when putting your list down is, am I going to go to a game with enough activations to mean that the opponent can't focus fire on me from the start of the game? Mm-hmm. Or can I survive kind of the focus fire long enough to make it like to make a difference? There's kind of two ways to go about it. Yeah, so yeah, I suppose you could go the other opposite way and understand you're going to be in a tricky position and you can actually do that in a couple different ways it doesn't have to be by taking like the most durable items it can be like trying to hide too yeah uh like with that with like the audax thing you know where they like hide the warhounds and then they get like closest to their cover save and stuff yeah yeah so like that i wouldn't i wouldn't feel particularly comfortable about running an underactivated audax list though um, no, and you're probably not going to be able to that's not really an well, issue you are in a way because you're as soon as you start squadroning Warhammer, you're going to lose your activation. Oh, that's a good point. I always forget about the squadrons. Yeah, which is the other side of that maniple choice. That's something you do need to keep in mind. That's a good, really good point. You're looking at trying to get a good number of activations, but also you're going to lose them when you start squadroning. Mm-hmm. So you've got to sort of start thinking about that right at the start, at this point now when you're picking those maniples. Because a couple of bad choices are maniples, knowing you're going to squadron later, and suddenly you're at like, three or four activations or even yeah that's a good point because i was like looking at this list and i'm like oh it's six titans seven activations and then i'm thinking like wait actually not really because i am probably going to squadron some of these warhounds so it is a it is an easy trap to fall into yeah so i mean going back to my um volcanum what i was thinking of doing is i'm going to run two maniples one for each leadership so i'm going to run one for each particular half of Legion Volcanum. And my current plan, interrogate as we go through this, is to run a Lupercal and a Corsair. Okay, so funny story. That's actually the list I was just talking about, is that exact thing. Even better. It's a it's a pretty good list. It is. I think it is. Yeah. Um, I've run it a few times myself. It is one I look at. I think it's actually a pretty competitive list. Um, I don't like using the word competitive, but it's a, it's a very flexible um, group of guys. And I would argue that uh, despite it being one of the first things that came out, I think the Lupercal Maniple is probably the best Maniple. Like, just, I know it's hard to say, like, one thing is the absolute best, but I think that if I had to pick one thing, it's that. A skilled player is going to be using the Lupercal Maniple absolute horribleness. Uh, 
I don't know exactly how much skill it takes to just shoot your opponent with a bunch of Vulcan Mega Bolters and then a bunch of Strength 12 Plasma Blast Guns, but yeah. Um, okay, so this is the thing with the loop called Banner Manifold, and this is where it requires some skill. I mean, you got to manage heat, obviously. That's just a Warhound thing, though. The looper call gets to pick its squadrons each turn. Right. Which makes it more forgiving, in my opinion. Which, yeah, which to me is why it's the best mana pool, because it solves that problem we just talked about, the activation. If you take the looper call Corsair, you can start turn one with six activation. Then turn two, you can start dropping your activations down as you've destroyed enemy titans. You can always be winning the activation game with it. Yeah. Until you don't want to, and you need all the Warhounds to pile into a single squadron. Yeah. Basically, I, I think you're right. I think that is where it's one of its strength lies. Obviously, a s- plus one to damage rolls is not a bad thing either. So no, but it's also the thing you can mess up the most because you can just take the loop call and just go. I can squadron five uh, warhounds and just do that from turn one onwards and have five. Yeah, that's not a good idea. And it's just like, yeah, it's really kind of good, but you kind of actually hurt yourself. Um, there's not that many situations where you want a squadron more than two. Like, sometimes you want to do three, I guess, if you, like, really want to, like, seal the deal on an enemy. But two, obviously, two gives you the most uh, flexibility. Legio Ordax, or if you're oh, yeah. Ursa, Legio Ordax, Ursus Claws. If you're using Ursus Claws, you may want a squadron up to five if you're going to try and take out a Warlord. Yeah, because they like the way the rules work. They like all have to shoot the Ursus claws at the same time, right? Like they have to be squadron, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. So, so my plan is to read manipulates. Um, obviously, it's the list you've been looking at as well. Um, yeah, it's an interesting foil to the Exturgimus. Mm-hmm. I've been running that for a little while. I've been playing some like kind of quarantine games just with my one buddy going over to his house and stuff, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't done it in a couple months, but you know that I've been playing Exturgimus and he runs, uh, usually he runs a Lupercal and then he'll pair it with something else. Sometimes he pairs it with like just a support warlord and sometimes he'll do like a little mana pull. The last game I played was a much larger game, 2005. My favorite. And I, I did a Ferox and a Fortis. How did you, I don't want to get too deep in like all the different mm-hmm. manipulates, but how did you like the Fortis? Because I've tried it and not had luck with it. Okay, so I was obviously running it with fun wasp rules. Okay. So my mileage varies. There are points when I think I had the commander got a bonus for not moving, so I was able to double down on the hold the line. Good point. Okay. It was oh, it worked really well alongside the um, Ferox. So it doesn't work by itself. You can't have your well. I don't want to say you can't or anything like that, but like it's not really super optimized to have it by itself. No, I mostly used it to merge the void shield. So I had like yeah on each flank, I had a warlord and a reaver. Uh, one warlord reaver was pushing up the table, the other one were all armed with volcano cannons, and they just sat in a fire lane and put a lot of pressure on the enemy. They became this corridor where they they couldn't go through. That sounds cool. It sounds like it works. And they created a sh- because of they created this corridor where they blew up any enemy titan that walked into it. It allowed the war warhounds to do like two turns of just running up that flank to get around the en- back of the enemy. Yeah, I think that does have a lot of synergy. Hey, so quick insert here. At this point in the episode, our recording bot dropped out. Annoyingly, not only did it drop out when it told us it was dropping out. It also had stopped recording for about three minutes beforehand. So we had a large section of conversation that was missed. And although me and Lucas, in the moment, went back and re-recorded the section we thought was missed, we had another section that was also destroyed. I was completely unable to save that section in editing. So I'm just going to throw these notes of what was said at that point here now. Lucas asks me um, what I think the maximum number of mana pools you should be running is. And I basically said it's equivalent to the size of the game, obviously. So a skirmish game, you probably will only ever get one mana pool. A confrontation game, you can get up to two mana pools. And an epic clash game, you probably can get three mana pools, providing you're keeping away from the heavier titans. Not only did I think that was the maximum number, I thought that for the sort of confrontational level and the skirmish level, it was the optimal amount as well. Currently, in the current rule set, obviously it may change with the Loyalist book, you really get more bang for your buck by taking two mana pools, providing you are taking lighter titans. 
I've never actually played three mana pools. I know it's possible, but I've never done it. I don't have enough Warhounds, really. Yeah, that, that's I, I, I've not got enough Titans to do it. I think the practicality of running three isn't the same as two. I might be able to do, at a big points game, I might be able to do a Corsair and, like, a double Lupercal or Corsair and, like, a double Ferrog. Like I said, I don't think that running triple mana pool is really realistic for a lot of people's collections. No. Unless you do have, like, just a ton of cheap Titans at Warhammer. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're doing a triple, it's you're gonna do, you're doing it, and I don't mean this. I mean this in the most uh, friendly way. You're going very gamey at three mana pools. Yeah, it is getting pretty uh, pretty powerful. Yeah, because I think I could see a list that I could do in my collection where I could run a Lupercal, the Lupercal Corsair mix, and then put a Ferox in as well. So yeah. I just have three Warhounds in a Lupercal, three Reavers in Corsair, and then my two close combat Reavers in the Ferox with another. Warhounds. It's not a bad list. It's actually not that expensive. Probably wouldn't need 2,050 points. It uh, it can be really advanced to play though because you have to keep all of which Titan is in which maniple straight. That can be tough. exactly. And I could take exactly the same Titan as one Lupercal and one Corsair. Yeah, that is tough. So that's something to think about. Like, it's a good point. That's something to think about when you're building your list or your battle group is that if you are not really, like, I guess if an advanced player, for lack of a better term, if you're still kind of trying to learn what the maniples do and, like, learn your learn the game, taking maniples that have a lot of crossover, or mm-hmm. especially when you start getting into taking two of the same maniple, which you might want to do in some cases just because the number of titans that you can take in the maniples, right? Like, you could do, yeah. like, a double Ferox to bring, like, four Warhounds with your Ferox instead of three or two or whatever. Yeah, I mean, this is a common Ordex problem. Um. Yeah, exactly. It gets tough to figure out, to remember which Titan is in which mana pool. Yeah. So, probably need to be marking them in some way, like, maybe on the terminals. Even on the bases? Yeah, you could do that. Like, some kind of... I My buddy actually uses, uh, you know, a little, like stones i guess they're like pebbles marbles whatever you want to call them they're like the it's like a flat marble basically um to like mark his yeah mark his activations and stuff like that yeah yeah i saw someone in a kill team game at uh warhammer store a while ago who'd put a spot on his base where he painted most of the rim black but a section of it white yeah that's a good idea sort of well at the start of the game he would get out a um dry erase board marker and color the base. Hmm. Because then at the end of the game, you can wipe it off. I never thought of that. That's really, that's actually a really good idea. Um, and that, I'd probably think about doing something similar if I knew I was going to a big event and I was going to be running. Or if I was an Ordax player. Um, that way I could clearly notate to everyone what Manipal's what. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Or you could like maybe like magnetize something to the base. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Uh, the ones with land raiders on the base, or this maniple, and the ones with this on the base, or different maniple, or whatever. If you wanted, if you didn't want to like paint your rims, it's like a lot of people are using the uh, what's it called, the like the nameplates. Yeah, I'd actually put the notation mark of the little white bit on the rear of the base anyway, so it wouldn't show up in a photo shoot. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, when I've painted squad markings on for things like that, I've always put it on the back of the base anyway. There's also like a company that makes a like a uh, circle that goes around the base that's like different colors. You could do that. I don't know if they make big oval. I know they make like the little squad set, you know, like 32 millimeters or whatever, 40 millimeters or whatever. But actually, I like that. Uh, I like that dry erase idea. Really good idea. Shout out to your kill team. Can't even remember who it was. Saw it in a store and a really good idea. Uh, yeah, that is. Okay. Um. Let's talk about weapons. That's the, the biggest part of building a list, I suppose. Yeah. Complementary weapons is kind of how I sort of put it together. Every Titan really needs a offensive, a weapon for shields and a weapon for body. In my mind, every Titan has to be able to duel a Titan of the same class. Mm-hmm. We we play the game differently, then Because I assign the Titans a role that they perform, and then they get the weapons that perform that role. Rather than each Titan having like a weapon, each of one of the roles weapons, 
because of the nature of the activations where you have to activate one Titan and then activate a second Titan, like even in a Warhound squadron, you'd have to shoot your first um, Warhound before you could shoot the second one. I find that like, you know, everybody plays with the Vulcan Mega Bolter and the Plasma Blast Gun, but I actually find that I think that the Warhound one having double Vulcans and the Warhound two having double blast guns is more effective because you get to shoot the uh, Vulcans first. Now that doesn't always play true because there's always the option where you like shoot the one Vulcan, take down the shields, then shoot the blast gun on Titan one, and then shoot the blast gun on Titan two, and then shoot the last Vulcan to do the finishing. That works as well. That works pretty well. But especially on Reavers, I like to kind of specialize them. Yeah, I probably should have. I think you can you can kind of do bugs, and that's the way you start walking. You want each Titan to fit a role in the battle group, while at the same time making sure it can support itself, or at least in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. The Warhound, though, maybe it has to support itself, or the pack has to support itself. Yeah, that's kind of maybe that's kind of where I'm going. That's a good point because, like on my like Reavers, I I actually really like the melee Reaver. Mm-hmm. So I'll do like kind of like a, a shield stripping slash finishing weapon on the top, like missiles or the Vulcan. And then I'll do the chain fist and the melted cannon. Okay. You're a fan of the melted cannon on post combat Reavers? I am. I know that it's risky, but I no, love it. I'm big fan of the Gatling. The Gatling's not bad. I'll do Gatling, chain fist, uh, mega bolt. The Gatling's not bad. I run sometimes. I run a t- uh, reaver that has a apoc launcher and double gatlings. Yeah, I've been rolling around the idea of most shots. Yeah. So I mean, for my Volcanum, um, what I'm thinking is I'm going to have three warhounds. I may put a four tool order in to get some specialist weapons. I'm going to see when Volkite drops. Yes. Currently, in my mind, they're all going to be a mixture of Bolter and Plaz. Um, I'm not going to be inventive. Well, I think that 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 like play. I think it was you that was talking about it. The play where, you, yeah, it was the play where you have like the Vulcan plasma on the first hound and then the Volkite plasma on the second hound. Yeah. That actually got me thinking. And I think that that is not a bad play at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably what I'll do. And then the third one is probably going to be plasma and probably for polarity, the shock lamps. Because um, I've got a double plasma and it doesn't, it's a little risky. Uh, and I think the shock, uh, the, uh, the, Shot plants will be fun to pull off occasionally. Yeah, I think it could be. I haven't seen anybody use it. No, I've not seen it in play, so I'm going to buy some stuff from Forge World. I may as well go and get the shot plants. And... Yeah, that's a good idea. Now, for the Reavers, I think they're a really hard Titan to arm badly, but it's doable. I have a strong dislike for the Vortex Missile Launcher. It's a really fun weapon. It just It's not good. It just, just, just doesn't work. No. If you there's like ways where you can kind of like manipulate everything to make it work, but you have to you have to do like the you know five Corsair with the five missiles, and then you like hit them with the thermal mines, and then you target the legs, and like it's just so much. And then it's what for what for killing one Titan? Yeah, that'd be I'd be all about it if there was a way to reload in game, even if it was complicated. Yeah, well, there is that like. um build your own legio thing where you can like do the limited two and limited three or whatever but it gets expensive you could easily spend 100 points on a missile yeah but it'd be it'd be nice like you know if you could say there was a stratagem that gave you a battlefield asset if you were to sit next to it even if you had to sit next to it on a shutdown order you could reload like it would give a viability for a strategy that would actually be kind of sick like instead of shooting in one turn you could like reload your limited use weapon Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I think that would give the vault uh, it some play because you could do a very aggressive first turn, a retreat back to the asset, reload, and then advance again. Yeah, that 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 actually is a really good idea for a battlefield asset. I'm waiting for the battlefield assets that are little trucks that you get to drive around. That'd also be awesome. <laughs> I think we spoke about that before. Uh, so, so once you ignore the uh, missile, all the other Reaper weapons are actually pretty decent, providing you know what you. I think the only outlier on the Reaver weapons is actually the Volcano Cannon, uh, just because it doesn't really range well with another arm weapon, unless you go to, to the double Volcano Cannon, and that is, you know, that presents its own set of problems. Yeah, I frequently run a double Volcano Cannon but, uh, with minimal issues. 
no heat problems. I guess the reverse track isn't too bad. Reverse track's not too bad, and providing you are the if the only thing you're doing with that reaver is firing the volcano cannon, you're fine. Yeah, not pushing it to move around. Move, yeah, which is why I usually end up running in a corsair. So it gives it the movability, flexibility without the heat. Yeah, that's a good point. Even the last game when I was running it in the Ferox, where it was just sitting there next to the Warlord, it was fine. And because it was in the Ferox and sitting by the Warlord, it wasn't having to worry about maintaining its shields. Warlord was doing the shield work. Right. It was just sitting there with a supporting fire additional 10 blast weapon. So. Did you do the cheeky uh, void shield generator asset? I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Good. I was, I'm not a terrible person. <laughs> I just don't think it's a. like. It's a very fun mechanic. Sitting the stuff right next to it and just re-rolling all your saves, like, ooh, you're such a good guy, you're such a good player. Merging void shields is bad enough. Right, exactly. It's not I don't think it's very fun. So let's go let's kinda go back to the weapons. I know we were I know we're on the weapons, but like let's talk about everybody knows that there's the the weapons have the different roles right like there's obviously the weapons that have like the high number of shots and the low strength and those are good for stripping the shields everybody knows that and then they're also good for getting those finishing blows sometimes yeah because you can do the targeted attacks and you have enough dice to make sure that you're actually able to hit what you're aiming at and then the low strength isn't as critical because you got the bonuses from you know whatever you got being damaged or in the sides or whatever. I, I, I refer to it as fishing for sixes. You just just it's not a huge deal. Um and it's they, they become fairly reliable if you get enough shots. Right. Especially something like the Vulcan, which has like the rapid, you know. You can easily like I've shot you know, I've shot the Vulcans and hit eight times with six shots. It's possible. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh Gatling Blasters and the macro Gatling Blaster on the War Lord. Right when I like first opened up the game, like you know, in 2018, right when it first came out, and I looked at all the cards. I looked at that card and basically like threw it over my shoulder. I was like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's good. It's a sleeper. Yeah, yeah, because the ordinance traits the trick there because it's you've got enough shots that you're probably going to hit. It's not as good as the Vulcan, so you're not going to get as many hits. But the hits that hit are going to count, especially. If it yep. Is. I was going to say it's not as many shots, but it's better range. You know, it's got. Um, it's got the ordnance and it's better strength. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they work really well at stripping shields, and they're really good at finishing titans. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, and also, um, mm -hmm. well, I was gonna say, so like, but you know, you've got like kind of like sh the shield, the ripper, for lack of a better term, where you like mm -hmm. strip the shields yeah. and like do the finishing moves, and then you've got like the damaging weapons that are like usually low shots but high strength. And so when you're building your battle group, it's it's kind of self-evident that you need both and you kind of need like a mix. But it's it's something that the actual mix of them is where the finesse in the battle group lies, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't tell you what the ratio of one gun needs to be to the other. Right. Like how many strippers you need. for Because and this is where the actual problem, I say both the problem, the challenge for the game becomes is that there isn't a good ratio because it depends what your opponent's bringing to the table right and you can also think about augmenting it with what stratagems you bring like if you bring you know i'm a huge fan of the strafing run i know it's kind of it's kind of for lack of a better term op but i like to bring it because i have little sick little thunderbolts painted up so uh, you know that helps with the shield stripping it's only OP if you're play playing someone who's not doing something horrible with shields. That's true. If someone's if someone's taken the uh, void shield relay and running the right um, the Regia manifold and they've all castled up, it's fair game. Um, yeah, then it's uh, then it's uh, strafing run, Titan Hunter infantry, and the artillery yeah. all day long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, because I mean, going to the point of it, just maybe you need to have those additional shield stripping shots to get through a bastion like that. Um, a normal list isn't going to rock up, um, and you shouldn't be rocking up with enough shield stripping to take out something like that, because you're going to struggle against the lists that go the other way. You're going to struggle with the list with like a lot of hull points. Yeah, which is a Warlord-heavy Skirmagus list. Right. Um, I'm not saying the Skirmagus doesn't come with a lot of Void Shields, it does, but its real strength comes from the fact that it's rocking three or four Warlords with their armor. 
Yep. So you kind of have to you kind of have to decide what that ratio is yourself. And then there's also like the weapons that are kind of in the middle that kind of do both like a like a turbo laser. Good example. It's like yeah, the plasma is a really good example. Both the plasma weapons. I don't think the plasma on the Warbringer is actually, but the Warhound and the Warlord's plasma both is really good at doing both. Yes, because uh, like you know, it's like decent amount of hits and good strength. It's why the Macro Gatling is good, right? It's decent amount of hits and good strength. Although it, I think it is a little bit more on the side of um, the hits than the strength, and the plasma is basically the opposite. But yeah, it's basically the same. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, the plasma is the advantage that you don't have to maximal fire it. Yeah, it has like kind of the scalability. Then, I, I, the other side of the coin, though, is that when you finish looking at your weapons, you do need to assess your heat because it's very easy to build a lot of hot titans by just going for what's best. Yes, that's true. Which I think is sort of where we start the back end of the list. We've sort of we talked through it. We skipped over visualizing what support you. That changes battle on battle because you're putting your weapons together. Understand that you're like, well, I'm going to sacrifice a stripper here, but if I run against someone who's running a high shield list, I need to bring the strapping run or the artillery barrage. Correct. That's a good point. That's that's kind of what I was talking about, like, where if you think you're like a little light on strippers, you can, you know, you can augment that with stratagems. You could augment it with like, uh, you know, the night banner, you know, like the basic little night boys that have the double battle cannons. Mm-hmm. you could augment it with other stuff so that's kind of where i was going with that was like if you feel like you're weak in some area or you run up against something that's swing that's swinging in one direction you can mm-hmm. you can kind of scale with the with the assets whatever strategies that's but once you've done that you then need to go through and start assessing your list for weaknesses mm-hmm. um do you, are you running a pile of Titans that are going to get hot a lot? Are you running a lot of Titans that, if they get isolated from the battle group, aren't going to be able to take out shields or finish a Titan off? What happens if your Blah Titan is just taken out in the first turn by a barrage of Vortex missiles? Is that going to destroy your, your plan? Yeah. You basically... And this is something that my kind of plan struggles with a little bit because I like to do the specialized Titans. Um, but you have to make sure that your plan does not rely on one single thing. Like one single Titan cannot be your battle plan because a savvy enemy is obviously going to be able to see that the one Titan is your battle plan and they're going to shoot at it. Um, and although I've just spent a minute or two saying the Vortex missile is useless, it's really good at messing up those particular, yeah. particular Titan yeah. battle groups. Um so then, and then you look through that, and then you make any changes where appropriate. Small little alterations are fine. Changing out the weapons, make sure you're a little bit more resilient to battlefield conditions. You may not get the optimal plan you want, but you'll get something that will do better against more folk. Um, and that kind of closes up your list, really. Yep. Um, we, yeah, we didn't really talk about support units. Knights are a very interesting part of the whole game. You don't need to take them. You've got them. You can fit them in battle groups fairly easily. And there are certain legios that will use really well. I'm looking at, looking at Profonicus. Right. Yeah, because like the the Titan targeting thing, the knights don't trigger it or something. Um, but knights are just another unit that, although they don't fit in a maniple, you can... well, they don't fit in every maniple. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you but you can put them in to fill in a hole. Right. And they're slightly. Yeah, because like we all know that Titanicus. I don't want to say it's a problem, but like it's like the thing where you may not be able to fill out your points exactly. So like the knights are really good for like filling in, you know, if you have a unit of knights, you can add one to get that last 45 points or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, they're weird. I, uh, the Serastus banner or the Serastus lancers are a good to splash in any less. It doesn't matter what your strategy is. A banner of three of them is just going to do work. Yep. I agree. The, the murder turtle guys, they're pretty good overall. But they're effective. They, the way because of their price hike, to me, they are about the same cost as taking another type. Yeah, another warhound. Yeah, if you're running a light maniple, like you've got a lot of light maniples, and you're like, I don't have much firepower, and I don't want to take a warlord, that's when you put the murder turtles. Yeah, that kind of goes back to like theme, right? 
like in you know if you have like your you know your Lupercal Manipole and your Corsair Manipole and you don't really want to take a Warlord or you don't really want to take a Warbringer but you have like the firepower you need you know you have a kind of a firepower deficiency although with the Warhounds mm-hmm. it's kind of tough to do sometimes they're pretty good but you know that that's a good option because they are relatively fast relatively mobile but they do have the firepower and most of the time they're about as durable as a Warlord yeah a pair of them their armors, yeah, a pair of them. They've got about the same. They're armor seventeen, so they're about the same as a warlord. Or you need seventeen to criticals. Yes, they're pretty good just to sit there and take fire. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and Questorus plus the Questorus that you get on the Forge World website. They're kind of a generally a bit of a mech. If I'm being truthful. I don't. I agree. I do think. Yeah, I do think like the Shield Stripper Questorus are like they have kind of a play but mm-hmm. they're not they're as expensive as a warhound with his good no. so maybe not and they'll go my problem with just a single banner of knights is in the first turn of the game you're running up you're placing an opponent who's got a lot of shield stripping weapons and you've got a lot of shields yeah because you basically like if you dedicate uh if you dedicate a titan to like only high strength weapons and like no shield stripping then that first turn you know that it's likely gonna be not as useful because the shield stripping weapons are short range most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so they, you won't have a down shield, but you will be able to take any knights off the table. And to me, that's enough. That's why I run the dual volcano cannon because it will take out the enemy knight that first turn. That's a good point, but that's what that's what that melter cannon's for. Well, yes, it's a, it's also pretty good, but you're also advancing up the table as well, so. It, Finally, you've got to, I mean, that's sort of, again, one of those considerations you put in on that first hook when you're building, picking a weapon. What's your anti-skirmisher? How are you going to get rid of the enemy knights? There are a lot of options, and as soon as you've thought about it, you don't worry about knights. Suddenly, you aren't picking knights yourself to worry about your opponent doing the same. Unless you're going for a complete knight battle group, which is an entirely different kettle of fish and very hard to deal with. <laughs> we can't even begin to talk about that. That's so much. So what's the kind of overview on the battle group? The first thing is, like, you think of your theme. Theme, then I come up, like, so I've got my theme, I've got my Legio, I've got my, then I sort of pick out what maniples I want to run, am I going to run two? Then I know what titans I've got, because I've got my maniples. Then I fill out, then I assign every titan in those maniples a role. And then you give them s- weapons to support that role. That's a, that sounds like a good idea. I think that's pretty solid. And then I and then I sort of fill in gaps by either putting in support units, filling out the maniple past the standard three, putting in support titans that don't fit into those maniples at all. Or strategies. Um, well, okay. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on and talking for the last hour and a half. I'll, hopefully we can do this again here in a few weeks. Awesome. I'll be here. Okay, I want to thank Lucas for joining me again today. It was really good sitting down and talking to him through the ins and outs of putting together a battle group. And I hope everyone got something out of it and has helped reawaken thoughts of how to list build with Titanicus. I know for me it helped put together the final bits and bobs I needed for my Volcanum Force. That I pretty well discussed what I was going to do during the actual recording of the podcast. But I think I'm pretty well settled in the idea now that I'm going to be running the Corsair and Lubrical setups. The actual weapon ornaments, I'm less certain about at the moment, and I'm still debating. I know what I want them to do. The Lupercal's pretty much set in, and I think I'm going to be waiting on the Volkite weaponry for that particular maniple. The idea I had during the discussion of the Volkites of having the Plasma Volkite Titan as the sort of third Titan in a pack works really well if I just want a group of Warhounds to be able to focus fire and take out most Titans in the game or at least stand a good chance of being able to do it. The armaments of the Corsair is something I'm still debating. Now, obviously a lot of people out there are telling me, but you can always change it up later. Well, I can't. I don't magnetize my titans. I know, I know, I know. It's a separate debate, and the one we'll have in a future episode, I'm pretty sure. So eventually I'm going to decide what my armaments of my Reavers are going to be. Knowing that it's going to be a traitorous battle group, one of my Reavers is going to be armed with a close combat weapon. I'm pretty tempted to actually have them all armed with close combat weapons so I can really get in there and mix it up. But we will see. Um, probably going to be a mix of the two. Uh, probably have, in the end, two close combat reavers and one more fire support reaver. And I can sprinkle some more in as the Volcanum collection grows out. Um, I'm not going to just stop at this small single battle group. It was just the first start to be. 
Photos and discussion of the collection of this battle group can be found on my Facebook page and my Instagram account. And I will mention it here and there as I go. I think this will be something fun to talk about, especially as they first start seeing the table. As always, if you have any feedback, positive or negative, comments or questions, or even ideas for conversations for me and Lucas to have in the future, please message me at my email address, god.engine.cast at gmail.com, or through Facebook or Instagram. If you're going to leave a comment, I'd much rather you message me directly. It's just a lot easier for me to keep track of. I also want to add at this point that I am working on a remastered podcast series. I am going back to the very first episode of the God Engine cast and starting a hard edit. I'm tidying up a lot of the stuff I don't like about it, taking out a lot of the stuff that talks about current events and making it a lot more timeless. This edited remastered version of the God Engine cast will eventually be uploaded to YouTube as I start distributing the cast through YouTube as well as all current means. I'm not sure when I'm going to get around to doing it, but I'm hoping that it should be within the next few months. When I have fully remastered an episode, a note will go up on the Facebook feed for you to refresh that particular episode in your RSS podcast feed when you could re-listen to the edited version if you so wish. Hopefully this will help people who are finding my podcast get through those earlier episodes with a lot less heartache as they are a little long-winded like I'm getting now. So with that, I shall bring this episode to a close. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus game produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademarks or copyrights have been intended. All rights are reserved by the respective owners. If you have any questions of the show, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or reach out to me through Twitter or Facebook. So until next time, I wish you all good fortune.